Hello there, welcome to episode 91 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Gary Turner, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, today, I've got yet another awesome human being in Sarah Nanayakara, who is a Brené Brown Dare to Lead certified um, facilitator and practitioner. And I've come across Sarah's work only over the last sort of few months, to be honest, but I absolutely love her humility. She really does role model the work, as she would say. Um, in terms of speaking for her truth, speaks vulnerability, really just really, really inspiring how she holds herself um, in being the work that she wants to bring to the world. And indeed, that's one of the things I took most away when she, she actually shared that I didn't realise the extent to which it would change myself in doing the work. And I think, you know, if we talk, she says also there's a, a close link between courage and vulnerability. And I think as she spoke about the fact that it was a massive risk um, for her because the training dates were set um, when she decided to train with Brene. She said there was a huge risk um, that if she did get selected, which she did, um, that she could actually end up losing money in terms of other client work that she already had. So she really stepped into her courage, really role modelled how she wanted to show up by, um, yeah, by committing to those dates up front. And I think the other thing I'd like to leave you with as, as we get going is that Sarah says that she genuinely feels that this work is changing leadership as we know it. And what I'd like to add to that is, you know, this podcast called Value Through Vulnerability, of course, Brene's work is a huge influence on me personally. But the thing that I'm seeing and sensing and feeling myself over the last couple of years is that, yes, leadership of others is critical, but it's also leadership of ourselves. And we talk about this a lot um, in the Humans First conversations as well, is actually there's, there's two things going on here. There's the self-leadership accountability and self-advocacy as well as the leadership of others so enjoy the conversation we re really hope that you enjoy it um, and Sarah and I would love your feedback challenges or any other reflections you may have on uh, on listening to this conversation Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And I've got a lovely human being on the opposite side of the screen for me today, called Sarah Nana Yakara. And she is the founder of Nth Consulting. And what I'm most excited about today is that she is a certified Brené Brown Dare to Lead facilitator. So welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. As we get going, would you mind, you know, I don't want to be too focused on your dare to lead, <laughs> as which this is called value through vulnerability, so I'm going to go there. But tell us a little bit uh, for myself and the listeners today that kindly joined us. What is your background? How did you get into maybe Brené's work? And what are you passionate about? So, um, gosh, where to start with that one? Um, dare to lead came out in... 2018 mm -hmm. and uh, um, in October and um, I've been a fan of Brené I think like most people since the TED talk that she released in 2010 um, the power of vulnerability and um, and I followed her books ever since then uh, I've been hooked and I think most people do when they when they when they listen to her her TED talk the Dare to Lead um, book was, when it was released, I got my hands on it and I was so excited because it was all the work that she'd already been doing from um, Gifts of Imperfection um, to um, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, all of those, those three books um, were fabulous and and I, I was really passionate I've always been really passionate about her content but now the dare to lead book was was around um how can you incorporate this into leadership um and what I'm passionate about is uh, working with uh, leaders working in organizations to um help them to to bring the human back in and so when this book was released it was just it was a massive epiphany um, I was hugely um, blown away by how the impact of her research, and, and that's the main thing, her, her work is all based on research, it's empirical, and uh, um, I was blown away with how, how much impact this work is going to have on the future of leadership. So I went 
Um, I, I, I looked at her website. Uh, I, I knew that they had trainers already in place for uh, Daring Greatly and Rising Strong, um, her previous two books. Um, and I had heard that she was going to do the same thing for um, the, the Death Lead cohort. So um, in, I think it was in November, um, applications opened, they opened for a very short window um, and I applied and uh, yeah, so as Nth Level Consulting, that's the, my company, I put in an application. It took me about six hours to, to write that application. Um, it was, it was huge um, and it involved uh, having to write case studies and examples and stories of how I might use this work because I could see, I could really see the potential of this work with my clients and the people that I work with. Wow, that, that sounds such a rigorous process to have to go through as well. Did, did, did you find for you, Sarah, that actually gave you even more inspiration to do the work because it was so grounded in that sort of rigorous application process? Uh, say more, what do you mean? So did, did you're passionate about Brené's work already. I'm just yeah. wondering, did going through that rigorous application process to become a facilitator, yeah. did that increase your passion for the work or just sort of reinforce it? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you now that when I, when I did the application, I didn't think for a minute I'd get it through. <laughs> I was so vulnerable when I did it. Um, it was a massive risk uh, because I'd have to, the training dates were set for the year. There was a cohort in March um, and they were happening every quarter. Um, and for that following year, I was already booked. So if I did get it, I'd have to let go of some pretty important work that I've been working with consistently with some clients. Um, and so there was some huge risk if I got it. There was huge risk if uh, um, financially uh, to go out to Texas to do the training. Um, and then whether it would be as well received in the UK as it is in, in America, because that's been a really big um, element. Um, and uh, the Netflix has helped a lot. She's done a Netflix documentary and, and, and that's been brilliant in, in, uh, in getting her um, out there. Um, but I took massive risk and I never thought for a minute that I would get it. Um, so it was a real, it was a real shock and uh, surprise that, that I did. And yes, it did make me, I know that it's not, how do I say this? Um, Brené opened the program with, listen, you've all been, you're all here and we've, you've gone through a, a really rigorous process. And yes, you've filled out application forms, but we've also been watching you. <laughs> so they've also been looking at us on, on, uh, um, on the internet, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And she said, we've had to say no to a lot of people to make sure we get the right people in the room. And that really made me um, feel, okay, yeah, this, this is important. And um, what I've been selected to do is, is I'm, I feel like I'm an a Olympic torchbearer. I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I've had the chance to go out to Texas and see the light the Brené light and then put my put my hand in and take that torch and bring it back to the UK and uh, um, and to my clients around the world so yes it's it, it, epic <laughs> that's, that's that's beautiful it's such a beautiful I love that metaphor of the of the torch bearing and, and I want to sort of put a comment out now for anyone that's listening to us yes I am a fan of Brené work you're a fan of Brené's work but I also want us to have a sort of discussion around why this work matters Sarah today because it's very easy to, to sort of reinforce and be positive and like everyone should do this. Why does it matter so much to you as Sarah that people understand this work or can feel and embody this work for themselves? So um, I've been running the, these programs, uh, public programs as, and also internally with organizations. Um, and a lot of people come on the program who are big, big Brené fans she has a she has a following 
and also delegates who have never heard of her before. And uh, um, I think uh, um, when we talk about well, what, what does Dare to, Dare to Lead is basically a courage building program. She, Brené has done research and she has uncovered data which enables us to teach courage. And so why is it important? Well, when there is no courage in an, in an organization, when, when courage is absent, um, we're able to identify the classic behaviors that, that show up like back channeling, like not giving feedback, like um, not having difficult conversations, lack of creativity, lack of innovation, lack of um, uh, risk. And in this world, I think particularly in the past um, five years, if you, if you look at you know, who are the organizations, what are the organizations that are, that, that are cutting edge, that are making changes, that are really revolutionizing um, their industry and, and the work that they're working in, it's their ability to be courageous and to be brave um, and to be daring um, and daring to be different. And so why is it important? Well, Brené's work has, has uncovered quite clearly that we can't do any of those without, um, we can't be courageous, we can't be brave without vulnerability. And so this program teaches leaders how to be brave. It follows four key steps and um, why should we do it? Well, the risks of not doing it are far, far too great. I love that. I love that comment, Sarah. I think that's so powerful, is that we were speaking before we, we hit record about the sort of growth curves that we can all be on as individuals and as organisations. And we don't often think about the opportunity cost of not doing something. We just yeah. look at the cost right now in the moment. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because I speak a lot within my work in my day job around a lot of people talk about the problem to be solved. Yeah. Whereas what you're speaking to, I feel with this work and what, certainly what I'm involved in is what's the opportunity to be realized? Why do we have to wait for something to be broken before we make it better or improve it or be the best version? And I love what, and I love this sort of link between vulnerability and courage. I like if you wouldn't mind speaking to that a bit more in terms of the work you do, like they're, they're sort of, they're so closely linked, aren't they? But they are also different. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, Brené, uh, her work has uncovered the fact that you cannot get to, you cannot get to courage without rumbling with vulnerability. It's right there on my wall. It's 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 something that I uh, um, uh, that we all, if you if you think about any courageous act, anything um, that we have done in our lives that re required us to be courageous, to put ourselves out there, there would have been a, a huge element of uh, vulnerability that we have to go through in order to get to that courageous bit. And the other piece with with courage. A lot of organizations have got courage on their, you know, their values. This year, the last couple of years, um, courage has come up as a value. Um, I know one uh, a government department that I work with at the moment, a client, she was telling me how, yeah, we've got courage on the, on the agenda. But we're not teaching people what that is and what that looks like. Because what's happening is, is if we we say we need people to be courageous, then it's manifesting in, in behaviors that perhaps aren't appropriate, like people being uh, bolshy or people being, uh, bringing in that bravado and, and standing up for what they believe with without taking care of, of other people because they then um, um, use the, the value of, oh, I'm being courageous. <laughs> Actually, no, you're just being rude. <laughs> and you're not being helpful and you're not being, you're not contributing, you're criticizing. Um, so teaching, teaching courage is what Brené's work is, is doing. It's, um, we've broken it down. We've, we've put it into um, measurable behavioral 
observable um, actions that individuals can do. That's that's so powerful. And I love you mentioning about the values on the wall. I've got a couple of examples quite recently around just how dysfunctional it is for people not to live and breathe. You know, this isn't a HR doctrine. We should live and breathe. No, it's actually, it's, it's, the, it's the win or lose of what we're trying to achieve if we don't role model these values, isn't it? Absolutely. I had a client uh, yesterday who... Um, we have a circle back session after our um, training. So we have a coaching session, we call it circling back. And what have you learned? What have you taken away? And she says, Sarah, I have known vaguely that we've had organizational values on our walls, in our, um, you know, on the, they're all over the place. And I know that we've spent a lot of money getting consultants in to define what our values are and do a big values launch. But do I know what they are? No. Do I know what they mean to me? No. And if I don't know what they are, and if I don't know what they mean to me, then do my team? Absolutely not. And so um, making your values, um, operate, operationalizing your values means that when you're making tough decisions, um, I'm just trying to remember, there's a, um, there's a saying that, um, Brené says, daring leaders who live into their values are never silent about the hard things. So you can be courageous if you really know and live and breathe what your values are and you can operate within those values. And as an organization, you can hold people to account. You can say, this is what we're expecting and this is, what, this is how we want people to, to live and breathe through these values and how they connect to you as a person, as a human. So, um, yeah, that's a, a, a small element of the, of the teachings of how to be courageous. I'd like to pop back, Sarah, if I may, because I, I love how you introduced how you stepped up in, into your own courage and the risk you took personally. Do mm -hmm. send yourself to Texas and to invest in this, in, in becoming an accredited there to leave facilitator. What was the fuel for you that actually, what, what came before you having the courage and taking that risk? Was it, you just knew there was a better way that, you know, what was going on for Sarah pre you making that decision? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think when I, before I was on that journey, I think I was, aware that I'm delivering leadership programs um, and I've been doing them, running them for 26 years now, um, that they, they haven't changed much. There's, a, there's like a, an expectation, here's what a leadership program looks like, here are the things that we need to cover. Um, and so what was going on for me before, I think, that's a really difficult question. I think I, I was coming at it before I signed up, I was coming at it from a commercial, what can I offer um, as part of my offerings to my clients that I know would, that will make a difference. Mm -hmm. So for me to be accredited in, in this program, to make this offering as a tool in my kit that I could say, here you go. What I didn't expect as part of that process is that I would have to be immensely vulnerable myself and to go through that and to constantly be checking myself and doing the work and role modeling the work because, hey, I'm not perfect. And uh, bringing that to my own consciousness has been the journey that, that has been really significant in 2019 for me it really has made a massive difference to my life in doing that work and i didn't anticipate that mm. i didn't i didn't think that was i didn't realize the extent to which it would change my cells in doing the work is, is it mayor angelou that said be the no it's not it's not mayor angelou who, who said be the change you want to see in the world. I think that's Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, wasn't it? And it's, 
I just love listening to you share so openly your journey the last 12 months, Sarah, because it's just a beautiful example of literally being the change. You want to bring something to the world to your clients, but you are the vehicle for that. It's not, yes, Brené's work is helpful, but you role modeling it, I'm sure, is what's going to make the difference rather than you just parrot fashing someone else's work. And there's also something in there around, um, so in her daring leadership, she has an inventory of armoured leadership and daring leadership in her book. And one of them is about being a learner and not a knower. So whilst I'm accredited, I've been trained by Brené, I've been to Texas and I'm deep, deeply immersed in her work all the time, I am constantly learning um, through being gloriously imperfect and recognising that we are humans and that we make mistakes and we don't always get it right. And I think that reflection piece on myself has really been huge um, since doing this work. Amazing. What, what, what's your hopes going forward for you, know, you bringing this work, you, know, you being a Dare Sleep facilitator and the other things you do, executive coaching, etc. What's your sort of hopes three, four, five years down the road from bringing more of this work to the wider work population? Uh, that's a great question. Would it be too cheesy to say I want to change the world? <laughs> because this is, I genuinely feel that this work is um, changing leadership as we know it. And, um, and I know from the, from the feedback that I've had so far that people have written to me you know, weeks after the program and said, this is how it's impacted me. It has changed my life. And to not just in how I lead and how I work, but how I am with my partner, how I am with my children and uh, how I am on a day to day. And I catch myself um, comparing or I catch myself trying to be striving for perfection and there's no such thing and, and learning to be enough. Um, you know, if Gary, if I could do this work every day, all day, every day, and nothing but, I think I, I feel like I've found my holy grail where I, I know I'm making a, a massive difference on people's lives. And that in itself is so humbling um, and so gratifying. There's no other... How do I see it for the future? I think this is it. <laughs> I think the future is is here with this work, and it's a continuous, a continuous. Um, you know, it's a work in progress. A thing what's so powerful for me as you describe that is that, and I can see it in you how you communicate it, but also I see it in my wider, wider network as well. In that, this is the inner work. Yeah. We're not on about the car, the house, the job title. And whilst that's fine, there's no negative against that. Mm-hmm. The reason I burnt myself out five years ago is I focused on just that and believed that was going to make me feel good on the inside. Yeah. And that, that enough piece you just spoke to is, I hope people listening to this now, I really want you to listen so that you are enough. Like you don't need things outside of you to tell you that you are. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's been one of my biggest learnings the last five years. So it really, really has. Mm. There's a, um, so the work of Brené Brown and also, excuse me, other um, practitioners. So uh, another, so there's three, I call them my, my, my trinity um, is Brené Brown, Tara Brock and Kristen Neff. Um, Tara Brock um, uh, has this saying where she, so I have a dog, I'm a big dog lover, and um, my dog teaches me so much. He grounds me, he brings me back literally to my feet <laughs> when I'm sometimes in my head. And uh, Tara Brock talks about how we get ahead of ourselves. And when a, when a dog gets ahead of itself, um, we call out, there's a, there's a call and we call it to heal. We might jerk the lead a bit and say heal and make the dog walk at your heel. And um, 
it's almost like as humans we need to do the same but it's not healed in h double e l it's h e a l because when we get ahead of ourselves we need to have a call that says heal <laughs> h e a l to bring yourself back to who you are and to who you really are and we can get so caught up in I need to be like them or I need to be more than I need to be earning more I, I'm not doing enough um, and we often lose our sense of where we are because we run ahead of ourselves and I know that Tara Brack has a has a, a necklace which is a dog bone that says H-E-A-L <laughs> to remind her to uh, um, to come back to herself that's beautiful. I love that. I'm going to also steal that. Thank you very much, Tara and Sarah. That's amazing. I, I love that. I think what's also interesting, what's coming up for me as part of this conversation is that it takes courage and vulnerability to go inside. And I think that's a lot of what this work and conversation for me is about. And I see it in the workplace is we're so busy being busy almost to distract having to go there. One of the exercises in the work um, in the workshop, um, one of the first things that we we do is identifying um, what is what are the things that stop you being, you know, who you need to be. What are the things that stop you from being courageous? What's your cave? And um, in the book, Brené writes about uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, uh, Star Wars analogy. Um, trying to remember the quote: um, "The treasure, the cave you fear." holds the treasure you seek and uh, the cave you fear to enter holds the, the treasure you seek and understanding and, and taking some time to work out what are the what are the things that stop you from from being courageous what's the what are the things what are the what what are your caves and you may have a few that prevent you from being the best that you can be um, and for me um, one of them i have a, a cave at the moment which is a um a difficult conversation that i i have been avoiding for years i'm talking years with someone who is really really important and i know that if we can resolve if we have that conversation it's going to be horrible it's going to be messy it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be really difficult but when we when i can address it and when we can when we can have that conversation it's 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 going to be glorious that's going to be the treasure and we do this exercise with our clients and some of the caves are as simple as you know i just need to speak up in meetings um i need to say what i'm i'm thinking i want to just show up um i want to start saying no <laughs> to people because I'm so afraid of letting people down that I say yes, and that results in me burning out, or that results in me um, giving away too much of myself and, and not having any boundaries. So the the work is very intentional when we when we run the workshop. It's identifying first what is it that that we need to look at and we need to address before, and then we we look at the the elements of of courage building. That's so, uh, there's already a part two to this conversation at some point because everybody's gone to the edge of their seats, including me, going, when you have that conversation, Sarah, do come and let us know how, you get, how it all went. <laughs> we want to learn about that treasure. But thank you for sharing. So it's really, I'm really grateful for you sharing that real life example of you and the cave that you're looking to have to go into. So fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. And again, what I love about it is that you're role modeling the work. Yeah. So the fact you can talk about it so openly and presently is inspiring for me to see. So thank you for doing it. It's amazing. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm going to share with you, when, when we did the training, I was expecting trainer's notes, slides. I was expecting, you know, timings. I was expecting this is how to run the program. And gloriously, in the true spirit of the work, we had none of that. So we were given a an outline and and Brene says, you know, I don't want you to be a cover band. <laughs> I don't want you to say what I tell you to say. 
you have to come with your own stories you have to come with your with your way of doing it even down to putting the slides together um you know we have to do all of that ourselves um and she says that knowledge isn't knowledge until it's in your bones uh, it's a quote from someone and she doesn't say that i can't remember who it was but by doing the work before we can run a program um we had to have our examples our own stories our real stories that people can engage with because then it yeah just as you say it just becomes completely real so it was hugely vulnerable <laughs> to go there and i paid all this money where are my trainer's notes um, and we did have outlines but we didn't have we didn't have the detail that i i was used to in other leadership programs that i've run in the past where they say okay 11 15 you break for 15 minutes and then you you cover this 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 between 11 uh, 30 and 11 45 we didn't have any of that um which really enabled us to really work with the work so that it became us so that it became me um and so yeah all of the stories are real life stories that are happening now and um demonstrates that we're all continuously going through it we're a, we're we're learners we're not knowers um i've got like i'm looking at my clock going i've got another like three days please sarah <laughs> no honestly it's so beautiful one of the things that's coming up for me i'd like to discuss with you as well and i think this is going to be helpful for all of us on as we listen in is the perception of value so mm -hmm. if i look in a work organization at the moment there's a lot of focus on cost cost minimization reducing cost etc cetera, etc cetera. Whereas what I'm hearing you talk about, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the personal experience you've gained by becoming and going through becoming a accredited facilitator. I'd love to know what the value has been to you and to your work. Can you put a price on it for Sarah? Compared to what you did actually invest up front. Or is it actually a priceless experience for you? That's a really good question. So monetarily, you know, I could be as crude and say, well, this is how much it costs for me to do the training. And this is how much I have gained in terms of revenue. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, it monetarily it's paid off in spades with the, the work that's come from it. But I think it's absolutely, it is priceless with the change it has had on me as a person since I've been doing the work. And I mean, I've had a 180 degree shift in what I thought, who I thought I was um, and, um, and, and who I am now. And uh, we haven't got the time to even start talking about that, I know. but. Um, in terms of my um, my ethnicity, my presence, my identity, I've had a complete shift in this work, and there is absolutely no no value on that. You cannot you cannot put a, a price on that. Um, it's been I think I mentioned you know it, it's changed my cells, um, and that's that's the honest truth. It really has. I am mindful of time, but that last comment is so important. And if you don't mind just expanding just a little bit, as comfortable as you are, around some of that 180 shift. Oh. Which, just, just, you know, as, as, far, as far as you're comfortable to go again, value for vulnerability, but I'm just interested. The fact you mentioned it, it just, it, I think it helps bring to life for all of us and those listening, that value piece, because we're so often stuck with cost and monetary value. But what you're speaking to, I think, is soul value. And I think it's really helpful for people. Um, it's really big, Gary. Um, it's related to, well, it's a personal story related to my um, perception of, of who I am, how I've been brought up. Um, it's linked to Brené's work in... Um, in the, the arena we have in the arena you have um 
she talks about um, cheap seats and season ticket holders and uh, box seats. So when you're in your moment of courage, you, you, when you're in your arena, um, you, you will get feedback from people who are like the cheap seats are the ones that will always throw the crap at you and say, oh, you're not good enough and you don't know what you're doing. And, um, they, they, they throw, they throw the shame at you. And then there's, uh, the box seats, the box seats. So the box seat has been quite significant for me because the box seat is built by people who built the arena. So it's people who are uh, like them and they like people that are like them and they see the, their eyes through the lens of, of the arena. So my 180 degree shift has been around, um, my, um, my ethnicity, um, my, my culture, um, bred and born in Cambridge, fam family of Sri Lankan, um, in the seventies growing up surrounded by, um, uh, people whose ethnicity are not like mine. Um, and I have had a, a bit of an epiphany. So I, I, I think, and it's difficult to explain it, I know we haven't got time because this is really, really big, but I, I used to think that uh, um, I didn't understand, for example, I didn't understand um, uh, BAME action work in organisations. I would be, I used to feel, you know, I've never felt like I've, uh, my ethnicity or my identity as a woman of an ethnic minority has ever been something that has got in the way of me progressing and achieving in life. And, um, and I knew that they were, I know that of BAME action groups that are out there. And I had this sense in the back of my head that this was exacerbating the problem and that there wasn't a problem. Um, and it wasn't until I did the training in March that I had this hideous epiphany and realization that my view was that of privilege that i come from a background where you know my friends are majority white uh, cambridge my my parents deliberately avoided the communities of ethnic minorities of, of, of sri lankan communities and headed towards cambridge or oxford with their their choices when they came when they emigrated in the 60s and uh, my father gave us english names because our surnames are so long, so that we would integrate and that we would become, um, whilst having that, the, the, the Sri Lankan culture in the background at home, that we would um, do things and, and, and be completely integrated. So I, I was pushed into doing rowing as a young age, and, and there are not many ethnic minority women rowers in, in the 80s and in the 90s, early 90s. And it wasn't until I did this work that I realized that I didn't understand why there were BAME action groups or why there, why um, people thought that we, we need to do something about the lack of representation. I didn't understand it because I, I am privileged. And that privilege has brought tremendous shame to me because there are i know now that uh, and i now realize that because just because i don't experience it um or i or maybe i have i haven't been aware of it but uh it's there <laughs> and it's related to that box seat you know you you're you surround yourself by people that are like you and think like you but you don't actually realize people that are not like you and that there are people that are hugely held back in opportunity and um in in their in their chances in life because of their gender their ethnicity their sexuality or whatever and these this has been a huge revelation for me it sounds really simple but it's been a massive 180 degree turnaround thank you so much for sharing. I think it's such, you, you talk about role modeling. What a great example of that you are, Sarah. And I think 
I can share as the white guy on the other end of the conversation that I was completely oblivious to yeah. privilege until 12 months ago, yeah. maybe 18 months ago. And it was, uh, I'll give her a call out, Rahena Begum, who worked, he used to work at the uh, NHS Transformation Unit. She came on the podcast in episode 19. Yeah. I was talking about the fact that we're making all this change in the workplace. Other people aren't stepping up. I don't understand why. And then when we had the conversation, she was like, but is it because you've got a different power dynamic yeah. within the business than other people have? Yeah. And Sarah, from that conversation 12, 18 months ago, my whole world went from being, okay, I'm trying to do the best I can within what I can do to going, oh my God, yeah. there's a whole seven and a half billion people who are equally brilliant. Yeah. It's not just about, do they, can they step up? It's yeah. actually, have they got a head on this? Have they got a foot on their head? stopping them when they're trying to step up and that is one of the biggest revelations I've ever had so yeah thank you so much for sharing no that's that's uh and thank you because this is it isn't it so this is daring leadership it's having those conversations and um bringing that um awareness to everybody it's and Brené says the responsibility is not the, the minority. It has to be the majority, but they have to see it first. And in our training, um, oh my God, we had a, we had a, a moment when a, a woman of color stood up and there's 100 people in the room and she said, the thing is, you will never understand my struggle. You will never know what it's like to be me every single day if you are white. And the whole room collapsed with, with shame and grief. And you know what? I actually sat there and I thought, no, this is America. This, is a, this isn't us. <laughs> We're not. This, this is different in the UK. And, uh, and it's taken a hell of a lot of processing to hear that voice going, no, no, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have that. I've never had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that is the voice of privilege and so um i'm currently um uh, i'm a cyclist um i'm a middle-aged woman in lycra and uh, um there aren't any women of color that cycle um in in at events that you know the representation is not there aren't any there are they there are but the representation is incredibly low and so I've joined a group and I have been um, active in encouraging um, women of colour to, to take part in this fabulous sport. And I very recently posted a, um, an invitation on a generic site um, that said, you know, come along if you're a woman of colour in London, we're having these meetups once a month. And the vitriol that I received was shocking from people saying why why should you reduce yourself to color you know you should just ride you should just be and they came from they came from mainly um white women but also Asian women so I got it I I got what they were saying I understood where they were coming from and where they were coming from was from a place of privilege of not ever you know, feeling like I'm the only person here. <laughs> and every time I go to an event, I'm always saying to my friends, oh, look, there's another one. <laughs> because I notice. Because if, if I notice, I feel like I don't belong. So that belonging piece, that um, feeling represented, feeling I can contribute, if there are others that I can see that, that um, I'm represented, um, so I feel very strongly about panels and um, uh, conferences. I always look at the list and I always look to see, is, is there a me there? You know, am I represented? Um, and this is part of the, the courageous conversations that, this is only part of the courageous conversations that we, we should be having. I'm like, I really don't want us to wrap up. <laughs> I really mean that, but I'm very conscious of your time and that of the listener. Um, but I, I can't let this inclusion piece go though, because we've got the statistics out there. You know, every, you know there's, there's McKinsey, there's the big four, like everybody has evidence to death 
Mm -hmm. to have more diverse boards, to have more diversity of thought, brings more value, but it's not shifting very quickly. And I think you are speaking simply and to the point as to why. Mm. Until we realise what privilege looks like, this is not going to change. And if we, and with that, you know, you can't have that conversation about privilege without the conversation about shame. You know, the, the huge cell shift for me, the, the 180 degree turn has come from my privilege and I have carried shame along with that now because, you know, I was a captain of a rowing club in, in London um, and uh, I was heavily involved in this rowing club for, for many years before I had a spine, I've got a spine condition so I can't row anymore. But I was the first ethnic minority female captain of a rowing club in on the Thames. And in Sri Lanka, in my home country, I call it my home country, because everywhere is home for me. <laughs> um, that, you know, it was a huge thing. And I wish that I had done something, some done more of that to show, you know, look at our club, because our club was hugely diverse. We weren't the Eton Oxford posh rowing club that you know you associate with that sport um that we were we were represented in uh, um in so many so many ways and uh if i'd have known then what i'd known now i think i would be i, I would have been a very different captain of that rowing club and and i think with leaders as well if we're having this inclusivity equity conversation it's so on the agenda but doing this work really allows and enables us to have the empathy because if i'm experiencing shame and i have for someone to to you know the the shame um resilience is empathy and if we're going to allow people to show up and bring themselves to work to really bring themselves to work then we have to number one understand our privilege and our shame triggers and have empathy towards ourselves and to others to enable people to be themselves um, at work. Um, and I think that belonging piece is, you know, this is all in the data of um, Dr. Brown's research. This is, this is emerging themes that are coming out and um, Dare to Lead is, is, I think, pioneering in, in putting this conversation on the table. Beautiful. I think that's a wonderful way to, to, to bring this part of our conversation to close. As I say, I've, I've, we've got many more to have, Sarah. Like, I think we've just got going. And I really hope, thank you for joining us, the listener, in this conversation. We hope you've got value. I'm sure you have. Um, how can people follow up with you if they're interested in maybe coming on one of your workshops? Or they want to do some work with you directly. What's the best way to reach you, Sarah? Um, they can find me on Twitter at nth level, N-T-H-L-E-V-E-L. Um, there'll be a pinned tweet at the top that will have the next program that's available that's coming to the UK. I think the next one's going to be in March. Um, and they can find me on LinkedIn if they can spell my name. <laughs> it's uh, Sarah Naniakara. Um, and I'm also on Facebook as well. Lovely. Well, I'll make sure all of those are added to the show notes to make it easy for people to find you. And I've just remembered, actually, I made one short note. Very sorry. I do have to just touch on this. So my day job, a lot of people get surprised when they realise I do a day job as well as the podcast and other things. But when I read one of your posts recently, you ran a Dare to Lead workshop for a pharmaceutical organisation, which can remain nameless, that's fine. But you mentioned that they had courage on their agenda as well. And I'm asking part selfishly for my organisation as well because I want to get them to understand this and maybe it could be someone like you that might be able to help them at some point. What worked well and what were some of the challenges of bringing Dare to Lead to that pharmaceutical organisation? So that particular gig is, I think you're referring to, um, they're doing um, bits of it over the year. Mm -hmm. So we did rumbling with vulnerability with them. Say the question again, Gary. So yeah, I think... so just around what, what worked well there? What did they gain from that experience with you? And maybe what were some of the challenges for them during that session? 
so what worked well is the feedback was phenomenal with the impact that it had in terms of each individual leader they were um leaders uh, the, the the european leadership team um and how the conversation the first part of the work is around rumbling with vulnerability and so we look at um you know, who we are is who, how we lead we look at um shame we look at empathy um, and we have rumbling tools the tools are immensely practical they're really down to earth and they're really simple things like um uh you know human beings are wired for story we, we make up stories and by having a rumble with someone having a conversation an honest courageous conversation um, starting that conversation with the story I'm making up is um, and giving these practical tools and so there's a there's a plethora of tools that we we took away that each and every one of them are still using them um, and have applied them with their teams um, and are applying them in their personal lives so there's been a huge um, positive um, um, change in behavior from, from doing that work. The challenges have been around people that come in armoured. <laughs> um, and, you know, with 30 people in a room, you're going to get a percentage of people that won't drop their armour. Um, and how did I... So there was one example where there was somebody um, this is not specific to the example that you that you raised with the pharmaceutical company but there is another client who um, does something that we call gatekeeping so um in a training environment when things start to get uncomfortable and difficult and the topics that we raise are uncomfortable and they are difficult shame <laughs> that word in itself brings a triggers in people and the way that that manifests is through joking or distracting um and so uh, we had a really deep um intention setting piece at the beginning of the workshop to help us to overcome those challenges that that inevitably show up and even though we had the intention setting container building at the beginning of the program um people in the program were identifying oh i think you're gatekeeping so for example when I asked a question for, for men, what is the uh, um, biggest shame trigger? Um, and, and then they answered with, um, to show that I'm weak. And one guy said it with a laughing. They, people think I'm weak. <laughs> and then another delegate actually pointed out or called out that behavior. That is, is gatekeeping. So the challenges that are, are allowing people to to drop their armor. Thank you so much for sharing, and that just beautifully wraps up our conversation. And that safety piece is so key in that in that environment. I would imagine how you create that safe space. And a lot of time on that, and uh, it's frustrating for those that want to get into it really quickly. But it's such an important piece to to have the the safety to bring yourself. Um, in that environment um it's so important and so yes it's uh, it's absolutely paramount to the work well thank you so much sarah for your time like so much value in this conversation and yeah i'm gonna book the next one with you very soon <laughs> have a great day thanks for joining me thank you gary take care bye Well, I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, and thank you for joining us if you did. Um, I just want to share a few of my reflections from this truly wonderful conversation with Sarah. Um, I'd like to ask you the question, and I'll ask myself it as well, is what are the things that stop you being courageous? Just love you to reflect on that for a second. Is there something going on in your world, whether it be you know, your, your day job, whether it's at home with family, or something else in your life that matters to you? 
What are the things that are stopping you being courageous right now? Something to have a think about. Do drop us a note if you're happy and uh, share what that might be for you to Sarah and or myself. I really love that Sarah also spoke about the fact that we're learners, we're not knowers. And this, oh, I just love it so, so much. It's such a powerful comment and it reminds me of um, Gary Ridge, CEO of WD40, where yeah, he speaks about a similar thing as well, um, is that you know, being a tribal leader is around actually teaching and learning from those around you and not being politely the know-it-all. Um, I also loved, and this is probably one of the most profound comments I've had on the whole podcast over the last uh, 91 episodes, and I'm starting to say that a lot the last few episodes, it shows how powerful they are, is she, uh, Sarah said, I've had a 180 degree shift in who I thought I was and who I am now in terms of my ethnicity, my presence, my identity. You cannot put a price on that. One of the things that just really hit me hard was that, rightly, there's a huge conversation right now around privilege. What does that mean to different people? You know, I've had to learn about that myself, having not been clear to what privilege actually meant um, until 12 months ago. And, you know, I was educated that it's just barriers, you know, and I say just lightly, as someone that is white, um, you know, on this planet, I I do have less thought-created barriers than other people. But they are thought created and I think it's really important that we realise that they do exist but they're not real. As in, if we can just get each other to understand each other's experiences rather than sticking a label on one another, like all of these things just really can be deconstructed. I know I'm oversimplifying it from a place of privilege myself but I truly, truly believe that if we can get people to get out of their heads and into their hearts and have conversations around each other's experience and avoid the labels as best as possible, I think we can all realise that we are far more similar than we are more uh, similar than we are dissimilar. And I truly, truly believe that. And, but we all need to have the conversation. We need to understand each other's experience. And I'd love to know if that resonates with you. And, you know, I'm also thinking, and I'd love your feedback if you're kind enough to listen to this podcast. I am thinking about running a, um, a theme around privilege as a topic on this podcast later in the year where we bring on a mix of people or maybe host, host multi, multi-way conversations around privilege. So, you know, have people that come from different, um, you know, backgrounds, different ethnicities, people that are immigrants, people that are from, you know, localised environments, whatever it looks like. Just bring people together and have a conversation about what it looks like for each other to live on this blue planet that every one of us has equal right to live on and to thrive on. And I'd love to know if that is a theme that you feel could be helpful to bring. So we're not just having privilege being led by people that are, in theory, outside of dominant groups. You know, we've got to all be involved in the conversation. Myself as a white person, those that are, you know, from this, you know, from ethnic groups, uh, people that are from disability backgrounds. We just need people that just have all these myriad of wonderful different experiences to bring them together to share their different experiences of this single world of which we all uh, we all live so yeah sorry for the bit of the ramble but also not sorry I just really wanted to put that out there as something that I'm deeply reflecting on right now is how to try and use this small platform and this experiment to try and have those conversations that really need to be had and uh, thanks so much to Sarah for being so vulnerable to share her realization um, regarding her own um, experience of privilege and reach out to Sarah you can hear her amazing drive to bring this work to the masses to represent Brené, but in her own way, uniquely as Sarah. And yeah, I'm really excited to, to see her fly as, uh, as time goes by while, while bringing this work to the world. So connect with me. You can find me. Um, so I've actually changed my Twitter account recently after a purge. So I am now, um, you'll find me as, I just need to remind myself of what it is. It's Gary, G-A-R-R-Y. IP Catalyst, and that represents Interpersonal Catalyst. So Gary IP Catalyst, you can find me on Twitter. You'll find me on LinkedIn under a a similar name. So I'm Gary Interpersonal Catalyst. And I'd love to have a conversation with you, just meet you, uh, understand what you've resonated with you on this conversation, what hasn't, what your challenge, and let's keep the conversation going. And any feedback around that privilege um, idea would be great. And until next time, uh, have a wonderful day and take care for now. Hi Gary, this is Mike Baldwin here. I just wanted to congratulate you on a great podcast there with Sarah. Um, I thought, uh, to be fair, that it was yet another podcast that was flowing along uh, nicely. Brené's work is phenomenal. 
and I enjoy it. Uh, but I think Sarah took this, or you actually took it to a new level. Because for me, uh, Sarah's vulnerability uh, was, you, you allowed that to come forward in a safe space. And it was so beautiful, the story. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, white privilege, privilege about shame is so important. And uh, yeah, I I recommend those um, new podcasts that you might do. That'd be brilliant. Thanks a lot. Thanks for all your work.